Zemi boy. Welcome to Sammy and Scooby Talk Movies, the podcast where we break down what movies have to say about real-life issues. I'm Jake Scoobish, and along with my co-host, Sam Brodnax, we're going to be jumping into a batch of movies about income inequality in Season 1. This week, we go all the way back to the 1930s with two Charlie Chaplin films where the tramp finds himself in financial trouble as he tries to win over the girl. Chaplin released these films in the height of the Great Depression, the worst spell of income inequality in our nation's history till the present day. Chaplin's movies are on the surface lighthearted comedies and tender romances, but economic insecurity and resentment of the rich are often at the core of his films. So, let's start with City Lights. The 1931 classic stars Chaplin as the tramp who falls in love with a blind woman selling flowers on the street corner. The woman mistakes the tramp for a rich man, and with the help of a wealthy millionaire, that the tramp befriends, he's able to carry on this ruse. But when the millionaire shuts him out, the tramp has to figure out how to get the woman the money she needs for rent and for surgery to repair her eyesight. So, Sammy Boy, was there enough here to call this a movie about income inequality, or were you more wrapped up in the charming romance and the brilliant physical comedy of Charlie Chaplin? Good questions. I, I feel like that was something that was on my mind throughout the entire film. This was the first silent film I've ever seen. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. Definitely added a lot to it. I think I was really mesmerized by all the uh, actors, especially Chaplin's ability to, like, tell a story without any vocals. So that, that for me, was huge just because that took a lot of my, like, brain power, I guess, to the entire film. But I think, I think even though the film came off through first watch as more of a romance story with hints of uh, kind of like slapstick humor. I think there was something there. There was a way that the Chaplin almost wrote the story that, and the environment that the story was in that you, you it gave the look into like his idea of poverty and and the way he views like the times that he grew up in. I think for me it, that's, I don't think the film was I mean, that's elements to be considered maybe a, com- a commentary on poverty, but I think, or, or income inequality, but I think the, the influence is definitely there in the way you created it. Yeah. And I think with the next movie we watched, too, that one's more so, like, focused on it, modern times. It's, like, more focused specifically on, like, labor and stuff like that. But I think it, it's definitely, it's definitely there in this movie. When he first meets the blind girl, she, like, she hears like, the, the car door closing, and she thinks he's rich. And so, like, the whole time in his interactions with her, he, he has to pretend that he's rich because he thinks that she won't like him otherwise. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, oh, definitely. I thought that was interesting, too. There's the moment when the, the girl's grandmother and the girl that Chaplin ends up meeting are talking at home, and they're kind of, like, maybe a little poor and, like, struggling with their money as well. And so in the beginning, when 
he comes off as wealthy that like might mean something, but there's a moment when the uh, grandma's like, oh, he must be wealthy, and then she's they cut to her and she's like, he's more than that. Mm-hmm. So it definitely like adds to the like, romance of just like the idea of the film itself. I think that's kind of that was kind of an interesting contrast because Chaplin, the tramp, is very poor, and like the blind girl is very poor, but like their primary focus isn't their economic status, it's more like falling in love with this other person. And then you contrast that with the millionaire who's just like his his wife is leaving him and he has everything in the world but he's suicidal. <laughs> that was a hilarious scene when he's saving him <laughs> and they keep and they keep falling in the water together. Yeah, yeah. That character just like Oh my gosh, it was really interesting. And like the dynamic between Chaplin and the millionaire, where like they have this like intense bond of friendship when he can't remember all the troubles that he's going through, but then right when he can like think about it, like he realizes who he is and like who he is as a person, he just, the friendship is gone and means nothing. That, that's kind of the millionaire's whole thing, right? Like he's rich, but he's sad. Yeah, I thought, I thought there were a lot of interesting scenes. When Chaplin is, like, when, when the millionaire thinks that Chaplin is his friend, and he, like, brings him around to all these, like, fancy places with these other rich people. Yeah. And Chaplin just keeps, like, ac- <laughs> like accidentally tripping or, or, like, dancing with the wrong person. I thought, I thought it was kind of an interesting commentary on, like, the fact that, like, money is more than, more than just, like, having money, because, like, these people ha- just have different, like, standards for how you should behave, and he just, like, didn't know how to behave around them. Yeah, and, like, the community that you become a part of, and, like, how your world just kind of completely shifts once you're mm-hmm. in your world like that. And the millionaire is happy to welcome in- him into that world when he's drunk and, like, not <laughs> not thinking about those standards, and then when he's sober, he comes back to that sense of, like, I guess, like, rich people decency or just, like, not wanting to include the poor in that community. Well, absolutely, yeah. Even his butler, there's that moment in the beginning when uh, he, like, uh, they go back to the house after going out, and the millionaire is, like, pretty drunk and just hanging out at home, and the butler is, like, trying to kick Chaplin out because he's like, while the, mil- while the millionaire can't look, and they're like, get out of the house, like, you poor deviant. He's, like, trying to, like, disassociate his own boss from Chaplin. And then there's that scene where Chaplin gets framed for robbing the millionaire, and the butler just, like, without question, accuses him just because of his economic status. That's a really good scene. I, well, that's sad, but really good, like, depiction of, I guess, what it's like before. And then later in that scene, there's the police officer that Chaplin runs into when he's trying to leave the house. Chaplin looked for the criminals that stole those stuff, and then he, at that moment, the police officer is like, Mm, this guy in his dusty top hat, looking pretty suspicious. What else stood out to you, Sammy boy? But there's a scene when, after going out, the guy's drunk and he gives trap in his car as like a gift. Um, and then he's driving around, and it, I don't know if he's just looking for a cigar, because he wants to smoke Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he like, sees someone drop it, and he goes for it, and so does like, someone else who looks more downtrodden down on their luck. And he, like, pushes them out of the way and gives them kind of, like, a, you poor... Like, he gives them that, like, rich people stink eye. 
And it was, that, that scene hit me hard because it was like, just, I mean, currently still poor, just has a really nice car and really nice clothes. And he's like, already removing himself from the, that world. Like, and not, not, not like removing himself, but like, I guess putting himself up on a pedestal. Yeah, I think that's similar to like those scenes where the millionaire brings him in to spend time with all these other rich people and like at the party, like when they think he's rich, like he's, they're just very accepting of him. I, yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the, the big things about like the big lessons about income inequality from this movie is just like the social capital that you get from wealth and just like how wealth is like an attitude. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. And even like the moment at, at the party, there's a party later and he brings a bunch of dogs to the party and that for me was like very, you know, poor person bring animals, mm-hmm. dirty animals into a party and all the rich people are like freaking out. And before that he had been kind of all like posh and proper, doing whatever to fit in. Yeah, I think, I think the other thing that stood out to me overall was just like how day to day everything is for him. It's like every day he like he's trying to like scrape together money for the blind girl or just find a job and maintain a job and not get fired from it. And for the rich guy, he can just like travel to Europe and get drunk and and do whatever he wants all the time. Absolutely, yeah. He was like literally doing anything to make a buck. Like he went to a box and scraped poop off the ground and like was barely making it to any of his jobs on time. Still coming up. And in the very first scene, when he, uh, when he's sleeping on the statue, they, they take off the statue, and I think they either say out loud or the statue says, peace and prosperity for all. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, and it's not the case at all for the tramp. Mm-mm, he is like currently homeless sleeping on that statue that people are like saluting and, you know, being all patriotic too. And, like, our experience of watching this movie is probably different, because, like, I feel like probably during the Great Depression, for someone to make a movie like that is probably a pretty, like, radical thing to, like, just call attention to that kind of poverty. Oh, no, I think so, too. That, that was something I was thinking about, too. Like, was there anything you noticed that you think, I don't know, because it, it's weird watching this, because this was released was at, like, 1930s, right? Even, like, the style in which the commentary is there, movies are so blunt now. Like, things have changed so much in terms of, like, what's okay to be said and, like, how edgy and, and how much of a critique movies can make. Thinking about, like, a movie like Sorry to Bother You that has, like, labor on its mind, it's just, mm-hmm. like, very explicit about what it's saying and also just, like, very explicit in general. <laughs> and it's like, I guess I can't really feel how explicit this movie was. It, pr- it probably It probably was, like... Shocking, but also like it is—it is a like heartfelt romance too. Yeah, and it does a good job of kind of weaving them both together. It's—it's it's like subtle. The romance is subtle. Yeah. The, the commentary is subtle. The dialogue is subtle because there's not much dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and the the ending is like an all-time ending for me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When she what, like, the... when she sees when she sees him and he like does not think that she'll like him anymore and. She, Oh, and she yeah. still does. Especially the, uh, when he feels his hand. Mm. Oh, my heart's good. I was like, this is, this is the juice that I needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good moment. 
Was there anything else? Like any other scenes that really stood out to you or anything? I would say the like a couple physical comedy things. The boxing scene is so good. <laughs> and just the shot where he's he thinks that he's eating the spaghetti, but he's eating that piece of string. <laughs> <laughs> that, almost, that made me feel like... I almost felt weird when I was having it. I'd agree that that boxing scene was like, amazing. The, the choreography of all of them moving in sync. You got, a, you got any other last thoughts? I don't get the feeling like that a lot of movies in general... Like, political commentary, I'm sure ads and, and, and protests were, like, really, really big. But in terms of, like, mass media with big stars making political commentary, like, Chaplin at this point, like, was he a comedian? He was, a, he was always a comedian, but I think he was pretty well known as, like, a political radical. And he was either, like, accused of being or was actually a communist, I'm not sure. Okay. Because I think, and it goes for our time now, like, when big stars make something that's really impactful, but this, probably him, just him making this, I can imagine, would be super, super impactful, and even, like, the more nuanced kind of, like, or more subtle commentary, maybe, was really impactful during that time. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm definitely underestimating, like, how much, yeah, like, the, the gravity of the commentary that this one makes. It's interesting to think about that in terms of, like, Maybe if we're talking about a movie like Snowpiercer, like how people in 75 years would even think about that movie and like whether they would understand the critiques it's making at all or whether they're just like really apparent to us because we're watching them right now. So true. Because that, that movie, I mean, Snowpiercer, to go back to what we talked about before, is like so blatantly relevant to our mm -hmm. time period. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this is probably the same way. Yeah, and maybe it helps to just, like, have it as, like, a central part of the story, but also ground it in this romance, so that, like, we have something to latch onto. Absolutely. It definitely makes it last. It's a classic. Or unrelated. Mm -hmm. The scene where they're driving, he's driving drunk. Yeah. I, like, genuinely didn't want to know how they reported that. Yeah. Because that looks so dangerous. Like, those cars are so close to hitting each other. I know, yeah. On this episode, we'll be continuing our dive into the legacy of Charlie Chaplin as we discuss his 1936 drama, Modern Times. Section 5, speed her up, fall 1. survive as a member of the working class in the early 1900s. Chapman is known for using his comedy to critique the status quo. We saw this in his movie City Lights. Jake, do you think this film acts as an effective social critique? Or does the commentary through comedy not provide the platform to really examine the issues that Chapman presents? I think it's a good place to start, and I think this movie 
does it in a more direct way than City Lights did. The movie's called Modern Times, and I think he's pretty explicitly trying to make a movie about what it's like to be a worker during like this Great Depression era. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. It's so explicit, especially in the beginning. The movie starts off immediately like setting up this really like large industrial park that almost feels like it's going to be the setting for the rest of the film. Yeah, and the very first shot of the movie is of a bunch of sheep being herded to the slaughter. I know. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and then it cuts to the factory workers filing into the factory. <laughs> like all marching or like running in unison, just like being herded. Yeah, so we know exactly what he's saying from the first moment. Mm-hmm, no, definitely. So we start with Chaplin's factory worker in that factory on the assembly line, and he basically has to do that same motion over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, at that point, too, I'm like, I, what job is that? What is he doing? <laughs> I, I, can't, re- I can't really tell. He, like, he can't be tightening those screws, really. <laughs> no, no, yeah, they're just like pieces of sheet metal. I don't even know yeah, and it kind of doesn't seem like there is a point. We get that great bit where once he stops doing it, like once once he gets to take a break from the assembly line, his arms are still doing that same motion. Like like the work has just like conditioned him to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And like the eerie thing too about that is like I remember that happening after he got sucked into the machine. You remember that he like was so dedicated to tightening those bolts. That he followed them down the conveyor belt, and what I thought was gonna go to his death, but he ended up popping out. And after he was like eaten by the machine, he like became the machine. After that, it's true. And we get that shot of the boss on the giant TV screen, <laughs> kind of overseeing everything, and the workers are in like this cramped space doing the same thing over and over again, and like he's sitting there drinking a cup of tea. Yeah, that, that was. I thought that was. One of the moments, too, when the comedy was, like, it was very funny, but also great commentary when uh, the character is in the bathroom for, like, maybe five seconds, just standing in the bathroom, and all of a sudden, the overseer pops up, and he's like, what are you doing to get back to work? Let's see, and then they uh, test out this automated feeding machine on Chaplin to, because uh, they, I, I mean, again, he's kind of, like, trying to make it clear how much they view the workers like kind of cattle. Yeah. And so they try to test this machine on him to feed him while he's working so he never has to stop. (laughs) The perfect money-making scheme for the capitalists. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that got me too about that was the quote. (laughs) Like, Chapman, they're trying to test it on him, and the machine's just, like, malfunctioning, and there's a corn cob that's spinning, and it's, like, going to feed him, and it just keeps, like, spinning on his face, and he's getting hit in the face of all the different soup-feeding contraptions, and then the boss is like, nah, it's impractical. Like, of all the things that are wrong with it, and the idea of even it existing is okay. But, like, nah, you know what? If he dies, that's not good. Right. That's, like, the baseline of anything that he cares about. Right. He's not worried about, like, the moral implications of it. He's worried about, like, eh, it doesn't seem like it'll actually, like, improve the bottom line for me. Yeah. Are there any other scenes that stood out to you? From there, <laughs> we get the scenes where you were talking about how he kind of, like, becomes the machine and he just can't stop doing the the wrenching motion. And then he... <laughs> and, and what's, like... 
it's kind of an unfortunate scene and it was probably like really risque for the time it was like when he sees the woman who has like the coat buttons who like oh look my- that look like the wrenches like on her breasts and he yes. was like he was like going after her that was so creepy at first i was like what is happening here and then he like chases her out of the factory absolutely yeah and then once the police start chasing after him i thought it was interesting that he he runs back into the factory but he still clocks in because <laughs> like like that's more important than anything else like he has to make sure he's getting paid oh my gosh it's like conditioned into him at that point that was something like going along with that too the whole like idea of the bosses controlling their time is like so present throughout the movie there's that like huge clock in the beginning mm-hmm. and like all throughout the film it's not like he gets to like it's not like he can exist outside of his work sphere. He's beholden to the time that his boss wants him to run on. He's always looking for a job, and always at work, and not really given enough time to, like, exist. Yeah, I think that's something that's kind of similar between this and City Lights. Obviously, with this one, there's, like, an actual presence of, like, a boss that's watching you. But in both movies, like... His whole life is, like, day-to-day, hour-to-hour. Everything's organized around the fact that, like, he doesn't have anything. Just the fact that they worked him until he had a nervous breakdown. That said a lot for me in itself. Just I And I wasn't really sure what was going on in that moment either until they had the, um... The title card. Yeah, yeah. But then at that point, he ended up... After that, he went to... What happened after? Did he go to jail? Uh, he did go to jail, yeah. Well, he, he got out, and then he was mistaken for a communist labor leader. Yes. <laughs> which Chaplin was in real life, too. Yeah, I, re- I read... What, was he just, like, vaguely associated with the communists? I read somewhere that he was investigated by the FBI. I think so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia. But ah! Perfect. He, he denied being a communist, but felt the government shouldn't try to suppress civil liberties. So he was, he was openly protesting mm. against the trials of Communist Party members, but he wasn't a communist himself. Okay, fair. So that could have been a little, like, wee tip of the hat to his fellow... Yeah, and, um... Yeah, I, it's hard to tell with the black-and-white movie, but I'm pretty sure that flag he picks up is supposed to be a red flag. Oh, okay. Oh, see, I was missing that. I that Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, he's on the forefront. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that are very edgy. Like there's also there's also the bit where he like mistakenly does cocaine. Oh my gosh, yeah, and th- that was like almost a throwaway. Yeah, he's <laughs> just like he did cocaine, kind of high, and then that's it. Also, the scene. This is later, but I mean, I don't know what I'm expecting from movies of, at this time. But like the only two people of color in the movie are both being arrested. And one of them, like, they depict him as, like, having smelly breath, and then the woman's just super angry. The woman's just super angry, yeah. Yeah, and it was just, like, definitely a different dynamic from current income inequality. Like, not a story that is not, um, intersectional at all. Yeah, there's no, there's no racist depictions of people of color, but they're just not even considered as part of this issue at all. Yeah, absolutely. And... The existing, like, racist structure isn't depicted either. I was always, there was a moment when I paused and rewinded it, 
later was in the, when he's in a restaurant, there was a sign up, and I was like, oh, is that like a like a whites only sign or something? And it was a sign that said like you get a fruit wine with your with a meal for free. And I was like, that whole like structure of racism is just not even depicted whatsoever yeah. in either movie. Like Chaplin probably made some of the best movies about poverty during the Great Depression. Like it's a pretty radical thing to like show people in this state. And mm-hmm. a lot of Hollywood was like, we're still going to show like decadent, beautiful people. Yeah. But he definitely did not consider how much more of an impact it had on people that didn't look like him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the the other major character, again, in this mo- movie, like City Lights, it's Chaplin and a girl. Um, and I think in the credits she's called the Gamden. I'm not really sure what that word means. Yeah, neither am I, but I'll give it a little uh, search. What did, you, what did you think of her character? I thought she was an interesting character. She's much more self-sufficient and developed than the blind girl is. The blind girl is kind of just someone who's entirely dependent on Chaplin. Uh, this girl is... We got an introduction to her before she met Chaplin, like, separately from his storyline. And she's, like, defending for herself and trying to feed her family. And So she, I thought she was interesting. I totally agree. Yeah. It felt like in City Lights, the romantic interest and, like, just character was almost like an offshoot of, like, was almost completely dependent on Chaplin and didn't really have any own defining characteristics besides a couple scenes that had happened after her character was kind of built around her relationship with Chaplin, but it was cool to see this other character have, like, her own storyline and, like, driving factors for her being in the film. So the actress is Paulette Goddard. In this movie, I, I think she's just amazing. She's so good. And she's she just has such an interesting, captivating face. Like, she's, like, the whole time she's very... I don't know, she's so expressive. She's, like, very fierce. And mm-hmm. just... She's very excited about everything in life, even though nothing is going well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and she has that, like, in, like dream of, which was kind of interesting, like, the, the depiction of, like, the American dream that they that they had together, but she's, like, very passionate about eventually one day, like, rising out of poverty and living in a house, like, a white picket fence. Yeah, that's probably one of the parts of the movie that gets at not just poverty, but income inequality most directly, is yeah. they, they're running from the police and they end up sitting on the front lawn of this middle-class family. And the wife, like, waving the husband goodbye while he goes to work. And then they have that fantasy sequence where they think about what their own life would be like if they had one of those homes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then that immediately gets interrupted by a cop who's like, what are you two doing here in this neighborhood? You can't be from here. You can't live here. You know? So then she proceeds to try to recreate that by getting her own home. (laughs) Yeah. Which in the moment is pretty beautiful. Just like, she ends up, he goes back to prison a lot. Which can be another thing, like conditioned, kind of. Because the prison scenes and the factory scenes, eerily really similar, how they both operate. Yeah, and it was interesting that he said, 
that he wanted to go back to prison because he didn't want to go back to the this like overworked capitalist system. Yeah, absolutely. Like at least there he had some semblance of like free time or he could control his own time and he wasn't like a uh a robot that was just being operated on by some higher power. But then after he got out, she was waiting for him and had found that house for them to live in and was like so excited. That scene was just all the interactions in that house were beautiful. That was hilarious. Also, going going back to the fantasy part of it, mm-hmm. the the part where mm-hmm. it's just, it's funny because like that they have this fantasy of like what a middle class life is like, but <laughs> they don't exactly know like what it is really, and mm-hmm. and so when they're dreaming about it, like Chaplin has that bit where the cow like comes to the door and, <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he like milks he, he like just gets the milk straight from the cow and then puts it yeah. straight on the dinner table <laughs> I, was, it's like, I was dying that was so funny oh me too it's like this is how rich people live <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things that's like you know if you have them I'm sure there's some crazy rich people out there who do stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> like straight farm to table right there that is like <laughs> It goes from that to them, like, being in their house where essentially nothing functions at all. And then he immediately, like, once he, again, gains some semblance of having his own existence, immediately picks up the newspaper and sees work, and then just leaves. He's, like, on the call of that industrial boss. That's just how the whole society is organized. And so then once he does get a job as a department store night watchman, which, those are some great scenes between him and the girl in the department store. But some burglars try to rob the department store, and Chaplin ends up knowing one of them from the factory. Yeah. And I think the title card says, We Ain't Burglars, We're Hungry. And I thought that was a pretty pointed thing about what what this system is doing to like just like hardworking people who have to like, turn to trying to break into this place. I totally agree. Like, people that have worked within the system and tried to make a life that way, and it's just not feasible and not possible. And then are, like, punished for doing something that's just, like, to survive. Mm-hmm. And being in a store like that where there is obviously a surplus of everything that anybody could need. You know, that store was, like, so beautiful and just, like, absurdly packed with food and toys and whatever have you. And then, kind of similar to City Lights, this movie ends in a pretty optimistic way. I guess it it finds the Gambin and the factory worker running away from the police again, and they're kind of off on their own, but they're just walking into the sunset, and uh, Chaplin says, like, we're going to make it, we'll be fine. Do you, do you think it's, like, a good thing that these movies end, like, in that optimistic way? Is it, like, productive in any way? That's hard for me to answer. Because there's a part of me that would like to see a really sad and, like, realistic ending. But I've, I've always felt like really optimistic endings, especially for movies that are really, really real and honest. Even if there's a tinge of, like, because they are being chased by the police. But there's the sense of, like, you know what? We can exist. Yeah. And we'll survive. And you, you think about 
like the ending of Get Out, where yeah he gets saved by his friend, but then the original ending was filmed to be he gets thrown in jail. But that one, like Jordan Peele talked about how it was to show like like we we already see enough of people of color getting locked up. Like yeah. it, it would be nice to have a positive ending on screen. I don't I don't know if that directly really translates here. It kind of feels yeah. like the positive endings just kind of let the system off the hook a little bit. Agreed. And I think that's where, like, it's hard to draw a line between, or not draw a line, I don't know if that's available, but to find the right com- like combination, or just right ending that doesn't let the system off the hook, but isn't just, like, depicting a narrative that's, like, really, really depressing that we see all the time. And, like, not giving people in that situation a chance to, like, break out of that existence. So I need to look at the trivia thing, because it said that he originally had a darker ending. I saw that. Something about him, like, waking up in a hospital and then her visiting him and she's a nun. Which could be interesting and could have added some dynamic to it. So he chose to drop this ending and shoot a different, more hopeful one instead. Did they say why? Does not say why. Huh. But, yeah, it's interesting to know that he thought about it and then chose to go with a more hopeful one. Maybe to get more people to actually see the movie? I don't know, but... Yeah, it it does feel like uh, the whole movie's kind of hurtling towards some criticism and then it ends in a happy way. Do you feel like that's a cop-out? I don't know if it's a cop-out, but it, it, might, it just might have been more rewarding as a critique if it went in that other way. Because we definitely still get all those things. Definitely. I think, yeah, for me it doesn't, that's true, because the, the, the commentary is really there, and it's pretty blunt throughout the entire movie, so ending or not, it's still very, I mean, clear about what he's trying to say. Yeah. Any other, any other moments or things you wanted to highlight? Something that was interesting to me was the scene where the warden lets him off the, well, when he gets let out, the warden's like, I'm sure it happens nowadays, but just from like a lot of depictions of media I know, when the warden gives him a job, it's kind of interesting to see that happen, just because I know, like, a lot of people now, and I'm sure back then, too, after getting out of prison, it's almost impossible to find a job. Yeah, and that's probably another way that the movie's not at all intersectional. Like, this, this guy can, like, very easily find a job repeatedly after jail. <laughs> I know, especially after getting fired for some of them. And, like, there was a moment when he got arrested, again, after getting out. Yeah. And he used his thing to get a job, his recommendation from the sheriff after getting arrested again. I was like, I'm, I feel like that probably's expired after you get <laughs> arrested again. I'm not sure how those work, but yeah, that was one thing that stood out. And throughout the whole thing, I could not stop thinking about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. You know, I just, I really couldn't. It was just on my mind the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I think calling the movie Modern Times is kind of a sly trick because it doesn't it's it, like the movie's not called life in the great depression it's it's called modern times because it's calling out a specific kind of like work structure that is still what we're operating with absolutely and like the i could see an automated feeding machine happening <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh <laughs> i could too which creeps me out there are so many moments it happened, and I'd be like, oh, that's absurd. And then on the inside, I'd be like, oh, gosh, like, that that could definitely happen. That, and probably is happening. 
the chaplain does have that one moment towards the end where he gets a job briefly, and then we finally find out the workers are going on strike. So he does have, like, some mention of, like, pushback in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what do you, what do you think, like, just, like, thinking about this movie and City Lights? Just, like, what do you think overall? Both his movies, love them both. And I think they both, they're both really similar in terms of, like, his comedic style and everything he does in that sense. But Modern Times, for me, just seemed like a, a much more direct critique. And what it was critiquing was more specific. It was, like, the income inequality and, like, how the form of labor and, like, industrial kind of, like, workforce, how that affects people who are in the working class. Whereas City Lights felt a bit more broad. It was just lifestyle of rich folk versus people who were more poor. And it didn't feel as, like, direct. It almost felt like that was, like, kind of, like, the premise for, like, a comedic, like, more of, like, a lighter comedic commentary, whereas Modern Times was very serious and poignant. Yeah. Like, yeah. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I think City Lights is probably more of a romance that has it vaguely on its mind. And mm-hmm. Modern Times is more of, like, directly trying to say something. Although they do have a lot of scenes in common. Like, I noticed, like, in both movies, we I talked about last time, just, like, Chaplin at that party with those rich people in City Lights and not knowing how to behave, like, physically around those people. And we get more moments like that here with that. He just ha- he has clearly a lot of the same kind of things on his mind about just, like, how the rich and the poor live differently. But here it's definitely more direct, and it's a pretty, pretty, I don't know, it's it's a pretty forward-thinking criticism about capitalism and, like, what it's like to work on this, like, automated assembly line from 1936. Definitely, yeah. Timely, but also relevant now. No, I I agree with everything you said, and I, th- I think it's cool to see him have similar, like, the commentary is, mm, not the commentary, but the way, the movies have a lot of similarities, which I think is really cool. I'm sure the rest of his movies carry over in a similar way, too. And I don't think, for me, in both movies, while City Lights might feel like more of a drama comedy than it does like a social commentary, neither one take away from each other, and the same goes for this movie. I feel like he writes them in a way where they both really balance themselves, regardless of like how much of one is present. City Lights is definitely more geared towards being a story that's more fun, but the commentary's there, and it, when it's there, it's like tasteful and done in a really great way. And in modern times, the comedy is more underlying and highlights the social commentary, and they're both tasteful and done in a really great way. Yeah, like I, I think, I think maybe the best part, even if he does end in that kind of a Hollywood way. Both times, these movies were made 90 years ago, and the criticisms are still loud and clear, and they're just so universal that I feel like in another 90 years, people will still watch them and understand exactly what he's saying. Oh my gosh, yeah. Which is so sad. (laughs) If you think about it. Hopefully not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. Also, I don't even know. His humor is pretty universal, too, though. You can't go, like, slapstick is always, like, people are going to laugh at it. 